0: This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Lily Lukau. We want to remind you that this program broadcasts from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. This evening, we highlight the important work of our friends at the New Mexico Asian Family Center. We share an exclusive interview with Sachi Watase, Executive Director at the New Mexico Asian Family Center. And as COVID-19 cases continue rising, we bring you information on vaccines and testing available for you. Our first song of the program is by musical artist, Rick Davis, AKA R Harry D from North Carolina. For over 25 years, Rick has spent his spare time writing original music and performing with various bands and musicians. Now we bring you his song, Dumb Stupid Hate, recorded in his home studio. Suchi Watase is from Albuquerque. She received her Bachelor of Arts from Pitzer College in Claremont, California, where she also co-founded organizations that coordinated services and programming for survivors of sexual assault and that worked with people of mixed racial, ethnic, and cultural heritage. Suchi is the Executive Director of the New Mexico Asian Family Center, NMAFC. Now, Jacqueline Wynn speaks with Suchi Watase. This is Jacqueline Wynn with Generation Justice
1: and I'm speaking with Sachi Watase, the Executive Director at the New Mexico Asian Family Center. Sachi is from Albuquerque and she was awarded a Fulbright Scholarship. Sachi, welcome to Generation Justice.
2: Thank you, I'm so glad to be here. Please tell us more about yourself. Sure, um, so my name is Sachi Watase and um, I, am Japanese American. Um, I grew up here in New Mexico and I am really passionate about baking um, and I love tiny things. Um, I studied art and math. I am multiracial and I'm queer and I am a very young executive director, and um, sometimes that makes me feel um, insecure, or makes me feel like um, I may not have the right qualifications, or or experience, or or the higher degrees that would be necessary. But um, I also think that my youth and and my perspective is is has turned out to be something that is such a benefit, and so it's it's really been some a journey for me to kind of lean into who I am and my identity, um, and, and really be my authentic self and know that, um, these other kind of identifiers aren't necessarily, necess- aren't, aren't necessary to, um, define who I am. So, um, I'm very, um, excited just about the experience of, of, um, Of being in my position and being who I am, and um, and kind of learning how to how to be that way.
1: That's so cool! I definitely love that you um, are like young person working at the New Mexico Asian Family Center. I think that you have such cool experience, especially in your bio. I read that you were like an English teacher at the Javan University in Vietnam, and I'm like kind of really interested in your experience.
2: Yeah. So um, I am Japanese Swiss. And so actually I I moved away from Albuquerque when I was 15 to Switzerland and I graduated from high school there, um, which really, um, I went to a a school there in my mother's hometown in her home village. And um, I went to school with people from lots of different places. And so that was a really important experience for me. And also just being raised in a multicultural and multiracial household um, and multilingual household, it was, you know, it felt very natural and normal for me. Um, and I've always kind of been drawn to, to being in a place where there is um, an understanding of the duality of identity and culture. Um, and so after that, I, I, I went to college back in the States um, in Southern California, at Pitzer College. And, and when I graduated from Pitzer, I, didn't know what I was gonna do. To be honest, I didn't have um, like many of my um, friends um, or people in my class. I didn't have a um, job lined up or a net. Like my, I wasn't applying to um, master's degrees or grad schools. I was, I was really not sure what I was gonna do next. But I was able to get this. Um, I, I, I've always liked living very spontaneously. So I found out. Um, about an opportunity to teach at a university um, in Southern Vietnam, in Vinh, and I applied. And one month later, I was on a plane and there and I just left. And I lived there for um, two years. And it was a very challenging experience because I felt that, um, you know, teaching English in a country that is not mine um, is a very tricky thing to do and is inherently problematic and is inherently um you know neocolonial and i think i knew that that was going to be something that um i had to really grapple with and i had to really confront um but i also was very fortunate to find such an an amazing community and world there and i learned vietnamese um basically immediately because i was in a, a town where nobody spoke english and um, it was so important for me to kind of be having an experience where I had to I had to really question and interrogate what I had chosen to do but also recognize the incredible relationships that I was building and these people that are now you know some of my best friends and um, I from there I um, did decide to continue teaching um, but, I wanted to teach in a country where I had already spoken the language. Um, And so I already spoke Nepali because I had studied abroad in Nepal. And so then I I chose to move to Nepal. um, And that was where I was able to um, also have um, a very um, important experience. And um, I lived in a a rural town in in the Hill region of Nepal and in an indigenous village and it was um also you know they took me in as their family and I and that to this day they are my family. Like I I won't ever, you know, let go of that. And so it's 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 been a wild time and I've also felt a lot of isolation and loneliness too um in learning how to how to exist and and prioritize being culturally appropriate in, in cultures that are not mine while also being, um, able to learn how to be my authentic self. And so, um, trying to navigate that has always been, um, something I think about all the time. And, um, there was a part of me that missed being, um, in a place where, you know, everyone spoke the same, like my mother tongue. And so I ended up coming back to the States, um, after that. I think that's,
1: it's really brave of you to, like, go to a country where you, like, didn't know the language and just, like, learning Vietnamese and, like, being in, like, a different, I guess, culture, it's hard. I think that you being it, you being able to teach in Nepal and Vietnam, I think it's such a cool experience. Speaking of, like, journeys and stuff, um, talk about, like, your journey back to New Mexico.
2: Sure, like I said i was I was living in Asia, and I think part of that experience as a you know in my early twenties was, I think in retrospect really about trying to find belonging because I was searching to find a place where I yeah, I belonged and I think when I was in New Mexico growing up, it was very hard because I didn't see very many people that looked like me around me, and I was very um Quiet about that experience. I didn't really acknowledge or tell people that it was happening to me, but I did feel so isolated and I felt embarrassed. And I mean, I look back at when I um, when I was a little kid, and I didn't know what it meant, but it, really, but there's clearly some um, serious meaning behind it. But when I was a kid, I, I would go. I had asked my mom if I could change my name to Lily because I really didn't believe that I, I just wanted so badly to, to be normal, quote unquote. And, you know, I would come to school with my bento box and my teachers would in, I think with the best intentions, but still they would, you know, take my bento box and, and show everyone the exotic food that I had. And, um, and I think it was really hard for me to feel, um, kind of isolated and without, understanding really of, of what was happening, um, or people that looked like me. And so I think that when I left college, it was, there was something about, even though I wasn't in Japan where I'm, you know, my family, my heritage is, I was seeking something, um, in Asia that me- meant, um, that connected to some part of me and some part of my belonging. Um, and, I also had, you know, worked a lot in community organizing in, in um, Asian communities in the States. And um, it was just something that was really important to me. But then, like I said, I, had, I came back to for other reasons. Like it's it's just always part of the experience of being split in these ways and having roots in so many places. Um, and so I didn't really plan to come back to New Mexico because I didn't think that it would have kind of um, some of those aspects of my um, identity that felt important for me to find um, connection to. But I was, um, I came back to the States right in February of 2020. So right when the pandemic hit, um, without knowing the pandi- pandemic was about to hit and I couldn't find work um, anywhere. And I happened to find out um through a family friend about a, about the New Mexican Family Center looking for an executive director, and I, as a 25 year old at the time, well, actually I was 24 when I applied. I was 24, and um, I didn't um, at all think that I was qualified, and I actually didn't meet any of the qualifications on the job description or on the job posting. Um, but I thought, you know, I'll apply because it's um, it's something that feels Like a good experience, like I'm young, I can try it out, see how it goes. Um, and then I started as I started investing in that application process, I started to realize how passionate I was actually about this because it felt so meaningful that I would be working for an organization um, that I wish had existed for me when I was younger, and that, um, also you know, I had worked a lot in um, sexual assault services in college, and so and. So there was like this intersection of, of, of the Asian Family Center serving people um, who ha- are victims of, of gender-based violence and then working in, within the Asian community. And then and then especially working in my hometown. Like it's it was rare to me that I got that opportunity to work within the place that I was from. And that felt like a complete and utter um, like 180 from what I had been doing, like going to places where I had no roots or connections to. And so um, I started getting really passionate about it and much to my surprise I was offered the job um, and I came out here and um, for this job and I came here to kind of test it out and see see if I could do it and, and um, be back here and I'm really glad and fortunate to be here.
1: Um, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story. I feel like I can definitely relate when you talk about like feeling really left out especially like as an Asian American um I feel like all my life like the schools that I've been to it's like mostly white and so I just always felt like I had to like change myself to like fit in and like just kind of bury down my like Asian roots or like my Vietnamese roots and I think that your work with the Asian family centers like really important i wish i knew about it sooner because i think it's like sometimes when i see your posts on instagram it's like so cool to see um like another resource
2: i guess for me yeah i'm glad i'm glad that you found it at least
1: so i i would love to hear more about the new mexico asian family center and how it was founded and like what's the mission
2: Sure. Yeah. So, um, the New Mexico Asian family center was founded in 2006. Um, and it was due to recognition that linguistically and culturally tailored services for the Asian community here in New Mexico didn't exist. Um, and especially, especially around domestic violence services. So, um, our founder, Delia Alcantara, um, she was very passionate about, um, you know, addressing this issue of domestic violence um, in the Asian community, and it was um, not an easy thing to do to start an agency that that did address that because, of course, it is very taboo in every culture, but um, especially in the Asian in Asian cultures, uh, many Asian cultures, it's very taboo to talk about things like that. And so, um, but she was very determined to create these services because she she knew it was very important um, and she really um, just spearheaded this and was a was an amazing community organizer and leader. Um, And she and a few other women came together and and they started creating services for survivors of domestic violence in the Asian community and specifically in a culturally tailored and sensitive context. Um, And over the years, We have started to add different services um, as the agency grew and and had success in the community. Um, you know, we started being able to serve survivors of sexual violence as well. And then we started being able to serve, you know, um, people needing support with, um, resource navigation, like getting access to food stamps or, um, to housing assistance or things like that, or, or people who just arrived in this country needing support with various things. And so our services kind of started expanding, um, to support what the community needed. And simultaneously, we also were recognizing that, there was also a need for programming um, and community building work that wasn't just direct services in reflection to like um, you know crimes or other really difficult situations. And so, um, while we had our direct services with counseling and um, case management and legal aid, we then started having programs um, like multi generational family programming and financial education workshops and. Um, youth programming and other things like that to start building community and honestly do some prevention work too, because we we do know that um, change comes from the community, from within the community, and especially within Asian cultures. There's a lot of um, focus and importance on the family. And so we wanted to really make sure that our services were multi-generational and really were going at the pace of the community and at and in full reflection to the community. And so all of our services, all of our programs were developed and designed with the the people who who are in the community and the people who are most impacted, helping us to design them and and becoming our staff and um, you know, being the people who are directly directly in the community. and so, and then the third piece that was kind of added on um later on was our civic engagement piece. So you know we had our direct services and we had our uh, programs, and then we, Um, wanted to also do the systems change work and the advocacy work to make these things sustainable um, within our society and also to engage our community in in the civic process, which they're entitled to, many of them. And so so then that was kind of the third piece of really working to engage our communities in a linguistically accessible way about um, kind of the civic process. And then also Um, to really do some advocacy work in the community um, and at the legislature as well to try to make changes based on what we are seeing on the ground. Um, So that's how the agency developed Um, and it's yeah it's definitely a lot um, and and we kind of are constantly reflecting to what the community needs and um, our staff are incredible. They are all from the community and they're all um, we're all Asian and we all um, have very different experiences, but also are so deeply rooted and connected to our communities. And that is, I mean, I am so grateful for the staff because they, and I learn from them every single day because of how committed and authentic they are um, and genuine. It's just so amazing what they're doing and and how the kind of work that they do is so um, it's so meaningful and it, it is truly reflective of what the community needs and, and we do things like um, create programs like peer support groups in language peer support groups or um, you know specific trainings that that is really showing up as a something that people are needing. and then we work to try to create that, which isn't always possible. and of course we can't um, realistically or even like with good faith, be an agency that supports the entire Asian population of New Mexico. It's impossible, and and we can't be culturally tailored to every single culture because there's hundreds of them across um, the continent of Asia. But we can, you know, with this with the resources and the situation we have now, try our best to you know work with the people that need that support and do what we can to kind of build that community space that, and the resources that they need access to.
1: Thank you. Um your resources really help like sometimes when I'll see a post on Instagram and it's like translated in Vietnamese I feel like I'm able to share it with my mom and be like oh this is what's happening and like she gets super happy and excited about it too. I love that. Yeah. Um as a young Asian American um I'm also like really aware that there's a lot of hate that was directed towards us as Asian-Americans, especially during the pandemic. Um, how can the broader community be supportive of the Asian-American community in New Mexico?
2: Yeah, Thank you for asking that. So of course, um, as you are probably very familiar, that um, this is not new. And, and it's honestly not surprising because White supremacy has always benefited from xenophobia and um, this form of violence has has always affected our communities. It's something that became much more visible during the pandemic and, and with um, social media um, and the sharing of, of very um, painful and graphic videos. Um, but it is something that we've always known is there. And so I think it's um, it's really important that, um, I think, um, allies and people, um, really recognize that this isn't new and, um, and kind of try to do the research and, and really educate yourself and your peers on the history of, um, anti-Asian violence and xenophobia. Um, and also to really make sure too that when, when we do talk about these things, it's a very complicated issue because I think, Um, so often when we start talking about anti-Asian hate, there is a lot of perpetuation of anti-Blackness. And especially when we, um, talk about more policing or criminalizing these kinds of acts, um, we know that that doesn't really work. And we also know that it specifically targets Black communities. And so I, I, would say, um, it's really important to be nuanced in, in that, um, In that understanding, and 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 really support community-based solutions. Um, I also think um, in within New Mexico, thinking about things like support, like we're right now, we're passing, we're trying to push a bill through the legislative um, session for language access, and I think that is something that um, you know often isn't seen as um a forefront of the justice issue and is often forgotten as a justice issue but it is so imperative that our community members are getting that access and so supporting things like that and understanding that language access is essential um for people to be able to be seen and have um equitable access to anything um and also no, recognizing too that that people are often harassed because of their language barriers um and then yeah, I would say just tap into um, community resources, local community resources, um, always center the um, people impacted. Um, and then of course, if you are witnessing harassment or discrimination or that a situation is escalating, like it's the first priority, of course, is to um, make sure that you and the victim or target of those crimes are safe. Um, but then also speak up, you know, and and um, and don't don't let that Behavior be something that is normalized or or um, or turn a blind eye to. So, um, I think that is kind of what I would share um, as as some of the things to do in the it, with with this kind of um, rise in visibility of anti Asian hate.
1: Thank you so much for that. I especially like the bill because like my mom like she speaks in broken English and sometimes it's like difficult for her to understand things that are happening. So
2: tell us about 2022 and what you're planning for this new year. I I think that this year I really want to um, slow down. I'm a very high-paced person. I have pretty extreme ADHD and it makes me really um, want to just move quickly and, um, and kind of zoom through things. But I, I really recognize and, and, um, look up to people who can slow down and, and recognize the incredible power of that. Um, and also for my own healing and my own, um, kind of self love and self-care because I'm not, um, so good at that. And I tend to kind of go quickly to, 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 um, not have to think about those specifics. And so, um, or the hard things or whatever. And so I think, um, I really want to slow down. And I also recognize that for me, it's sometimes hard to follow through (laughs) on those kinds of, um, goals that I have. And so I think I also, instead of kind of beating myself up or getting angry at myself that when I can't do it to also have that grace and and recognize that it's not always, um, it's not always going to be easy to, to, um, to kind of change those habits. Um, and so it doesn't help to judge myself more for it, but really just to try. And and if I can't, then that's okay too. But, um, I do want to try to slow down. I do want to, um, allow myself to, um, do things that are just for me. (laughs) It's hard. Sometimes I'm working at a nonprofit in general, they often, I think just in the nonprofit industrial complex, it often feeds off of, um, the generosity of people and people's time. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I'm also, um, you know, a culprit of, of perpetuating that and also a victim of, of it myself. And so I think I, I'm always, um, kind of having a hard time, um, stopping when, you know, there's so much more to do and there's so much work to do and and the work is never over. Um, but recognizing that it's, it's never gonna be over and it's okay, at least in my generation, in our generation. Um, And that's okay. And that we're one step in a part of it. And then um, taking care of myself is is really an important piece in that whole process. And so um, I have to learn how to take some space to do things that bring me joy. Um, And within our agency, I'm very excited to um, hopefully doing some reflecting on our work and and kind of the accomplishments we have made, especially considering um, the past two years being some of the hardest years um, ever. And I think it's going to be really important for us to look back and um, have um, some time to think about that and then think about what's possible and maybe um, consider some innovative New ways of of being and, and thinking about the world, and so, um, or th- sorry, thinking about the agency and, and structure of the agency, and then I also think we really want to work on um, really aligning our workplace culture and policies and procedures with the values that we have. So, um, especially around um, things like um, supporting supporting the kind of um, Work-life balance and boundaries, and um, care for ourselves—that we hope everyone does have for themselves—and so um, it does really align with my own personal goals for this year. Because, um, yeah, it's it just happens to be in alignment, but I think it is also um, a time when all of us do need to slow down, and we also all need to kind of yeah reflect on what on what we've done, and and on honor all the things we've done, and also um, really work to create systems um, that truly support um, ourselves.
1: I think those are amazing goals for 2022. I definitely agree that we need to just slow down and just reflect back. Self-care is important too. <laughs> There's like
2: big goals, but we'll see what we can do.
1: <laughs> Where can people find more information about the New Mexico Asian Family Center?
2: Um, So you can visit our website, which is nmafc.org. You could follow us on Instagram um, at nm__asian__family__center. You can follow us on Facebook, just New Mexico Asian Family Center. Um, And of course, you can also sign up for our our newsletter um, by emailing info at nmafc.org. And we will add you to our newsletter, which goes out every month. Is there anything else that you wanna like add? I don't think so. I mean, I think that was um, such an amazing conversation and I really appreciate your um, openness with me as well. And and um, the it's been really kind of nice to talk about, candidly talk about myself and also my work in the organization and, and how they uh, intertwined um, and how it aligns with with um my identity as well. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. And um yeah, I'm just um I'm happy to be here. And if you have any other questions, like feel free to ask. But I think that's all I have.
1: I honestly I'm really thankful for having this interview with you because I feel like when I saw Mr. Roberta had like told me about the interview and I read your bio, I was like, yay, like and a person who's just like kind of like me and can relate to my experiences and stuff. And I or I can relate to your experiences. So I feel like it's such a blessing to, you know, be in this moment.
2: Yeah, me too. It's been really fun being interviewed by you. And um yeah, it's it's just I love it. And I love, I love kind of the work that you all are doing. And I can't believe I haven't, you know been able to learn from you all before today but I'm so glad that i'm I'm here now and getting to talk to you and it was really an, really an honor to be able to be interviewed by you and I really hope Jackie that we get to um, talk more or, be, or have more of those kind of overlap or intersection you should come join our programs <laughs> or just you know hang out That'd be so cool I'd love that for generation justice
0: I'm
1: Jacqueline Wynn.
0: Thank you, Sachi. The duality of your identity and culture you mentioned is so clearly seen in your journey and your work with the New Mexico Asian Family Center. Your position as a 25-year-old executive director is so exciting for me to see as an example of what is possible for all young people of New Mexico. Your nuance and understanding every system present in your journey and current work at a nonprofit is not something I had fully considered, and I want to thank you for mentioning it. Our interviewer, Jacqueline Nguyen, selected the next two songs. Here is Han Te Hepuan by Sonny, featuring Han Taun, followed by Every Summertime by Nikki. cases are on the rise and it is important to stay safe and get vaccinated. We need to work together to protect each other and end this deadly global pandemic. Booster shots are now available to all eligible New Mexico residents 12 years and older. If you haven't gotten vaccinated or if you need to get your booster shot, you can visit cvvaccine.nmhealth.org. That's cvvaccine.nmhealth.org. Testing is essential to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and variants like Omicron. At-home COVID-19 tests are now available to everyone. You can order yours by visiting usps.com. Fill out your contact and shipping information to place an order. Remember, there is a limit of one order per residential address. One order includes four individual rapid antigen COVID-19 tests. If you need to get a PCR COVID-19 test, you can schedule an appointment at curative.com. Again, that's curative.com. Don't forget to get your COVID-19 vaccines, follow COVID safety measures, and get tested to help stop the global deadly pandemic. Now, we bring you the songs Harder Than You Think by Public Enemy and To Be Young, Gifted, and Black by the great Nina Simone.
1: shagging that sagging, spread it backwards, I'ma leave it at that, daddy got nothing to do with rap, Check the facts, expose those cats, who poses heroes, take advantage of blacks, the government's gangsters so cut the crap, a war going on,
0: We hope you've enjoyed this hour of community action. We'd like to thank our guest, Sachi Watase. Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Robert Arael with production assistance from Barbara Ramirez. And thank you to our interviewer, Jacqueline Wynn. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlist on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the Alma Health Foundation, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. Our last songs of the night include Rio Abajo by Ana Tijoux and Las Cafeteras version of Angel Baby. I'm Lily Lucao. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word. So stay tuned and join us next Sunday at seven o'clock. Good night, New Mexico.
1: Soy la vida, soy la madre de la fuente cristalina Soy un canto musical de claves Soy la llave de este mundo y su Soy la lluvia que te brinda el aguacero El chubasco permanente de amor verdadero Soy el volcán